The House Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress went out of business with the conclusion of the 117th Congress. But the committee's long list of recommendations will continue under a new subcommittee. The former Select Committee Chair, Washington Democrat Derek Kilmer, discussed this in a Q&A with Chamber of Commerce Executive Vice President Tom Quadman at a Chamber event last Friday in Washington. About every 20 or 30 years or so, Congress realizes things aren't working the way they ought to, and they create a committee to do something about it. Uh, The most recent iteration was called the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress, which makes us sound like we were the IT help desk, Uh, but we were nicknamed the Fixed Congress Committee. Uh, And our mission, simply put, was to make Congress work better for the American people. Uh, In that regard, we looked at a number of issues. How does Congress as an institution recruit, retain, and have more diverse staff? How does Congress have uh, have a more civil and collaborative culture? How do we deal with issues like schedule and calendar? And among the issues we looked at that I know is germane to today's summit is how does Congress use technology? As his high-tech wireless microphone faltered, Kilmer said Congress has been described as an 18th century institution using 20th century technology to solve 21st century problems. Kilmer said a number of the committee's 202 recommendations focused on Congress's technology base. Asked for an example, Kilmer said, One of the challenges Congress faces is that Members of Congress, on average, sit on 5.4 committees and subcommittees. If you look at uh, pre-pandemic, back in 2019, Congress was in session for 57 full days and 58 travel days. By and large, all of your committee meetings are packed into those full days. And unfortunately, currently, there is no system to deconflict that schedule, which is why, if you're watching C-SPAN, First, you have too much time on your hands. But if you're watching C-SPAN and you notice that there's not people in their committee, it's not that they're blowing off work. It's that they're probably in three or four other committees at the same time. So one of our recommendations was if you want Congress to function, you need to have the committees function, which means members need to be able to be in committee for something other than showing up right before it's their time to speak, giving five-minute speech, and then piecing out. So one of the recommendations we made was to do what basically every college and university and high school in the country does, use technology to deconflict the schedule. Does not sound like rocket science. One of the other recommendations that we made was to use technology better so that as an institution, Congress is is better capable of making policy based on evidence, not just based on ideology. Uh, We recommended establishing a new commission on evidence-based policymaking within the legislative branch. That is, you know, having the institution onboard things like data data analytics so that the institution can make better decisions for the American people, uh, I think is really uh, uh, really very important. Kilmer also cited the topic of constituent help. Local voters come to a member of Congress with, say, a problem with Veterans Affairs or Social Security. The member reaches out to an agency and perhaps gets a matter resolved. So what you have is, in essence, 435 independent contractors getting their own individualized data from their constituents, but there is no use of technology to aggregate that data, to say, hey, wait a minute, turns out this issue with the VA in Kilmer's office was also a problem with the VA that 50 other offices got calls about, hey, that is a systemic problem, let's go solve that as a policy problem, not just as a casework problem. So one of our recommendations was to use technology to aggregate casework data so that we can actually solve some of the problems facing our constituents, whether it be with the VA, with immigration, with the IRS, or any other federal agency. 
We made recommendations also about how Congress as an institution onboards technological innovation. We've proposed the establishment, and they've just stood it up, of a congressional digital service to actually look at how Congress onboards new innovation. I was a member of Congress. I was a new member who came in in January of 2013. I was, upon my swearing in, handed a pager. I am not quite sure what to do with it. You know, the institution needs to be more modern. That's not just about how we communicate with ourselves or are communicated with, but it also gets at how we communicate with our constituents, how we solve problems for our constituents. And so a number of the recommendations that we made in the technological space really focused there. Beyond that, outside of the technology realm, some of the most important recommendations, and I really give credit to the chamber because it was outspoken in the importance of helping to build the capacity of the institution. It is hard for Congress to solve big problems for the American people if it has self-lobotomized. You have seen things like the elimination of the Office of Technology Assessment back in the 90s. You've seen things like the constant erosion of funding for committee staff. And as a consequence, the institution has a, generally the turnover. The average uh, staff member has a tenure of under three years. It is hard for the institution to develop its brains to solve big problems, in part because once you get someone who's smart enough to solve a problem, they get hired away. And so a lot of the recommendations we made, and I really appreciated the Chamber's engagement on this, we're really trying to build up the brain power of Congress as an institution so that it can solve problems. We're in a new Congress, right? So this Congress is not reauthorized to select committee. You have 202 bipartisan recommendations that did come out of the select committee. How do you see that work moving forward, or do, or do you even see it moving forward? Yeah, this is actually a good news story. At the end of the last Congress, our select committee, as it was expiring, made two recommendations. One, it said Congress should look at how it modernizes and look at reform issues as a matter of course, not waiting every 20 or 30 years to do it. So what we recommended was, at the very least, there should be these types of reform committees every three or four Congresses. Beyond that, though, we also made a proposal to create a new subcommittee under House administration to focus on implementation of these 202 recommendations. Now, here's the good news. 45 of them have been fully implemented. There's another 70 or so that are in the process of implementation. But it requires paying attention to that, right? The, you know, Congress is a slow-moving machine, and having at least some folks were assigned the task of putting eyes on the implementation, I think is really important. To the credit of the new majority, they took that recommendation and ran with it. So a new committee, a new subcommittee under House admin has been established, focused on congressional modernization. It's going to be chaired uh, by Stephanie Bice from Oklahoma. I will serve as its ranking member. And uh, I'm excited about that because I think we will, we will continue to put the pressure on to ensure forward motion of some of these reform ideas. One of the reasons why we wanted to make sure we were having this summit was to bring the private sector together with the public sector, figure out what some of the solutions are, but also to make sure that we can make government IT modernization a priority. We're going to now have discussions on, which sort of started yesterday, between Speaker McCarthy and President Biden on 
okay, how do we deal with the debt ceiling? But below that, how do we deal with spending? Mm -hmm. So is IT modernization for the government, does that have a space in this conversation? I sure hope so, because I think there are areas where Congress can make investments in the use of technology, where you both improve the efficiency of the government, you improve transparency within the government, you address real vulnerabilities around cybersecurity, which I think are certainly an issue for congressional offices and for federal agencies. Some of these will require investments, and I think over the long haul, and the FAA example is a good one, because when you had that cybersecurity, when you had that technological issue, it cost a lot of money. It had a huge impact to, to business, to travelers. Some of these investments will save us enormous money down the road, and I think IT modernization needs to be part of the discussion around how to make government more efficient and more effective for the American people. Washington Congressman Derek Kilmer, formerly chairman of the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress, now ranking member of a new subcommittee on the House Committee on Administration, speaking at a U.S. Chamber of Commerce conference in Washington. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in direct care. And and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are are really um, you know we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they are, they're really heroes. And um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone and I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, uh, send in my information and lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and um, I learn uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C., and, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom and comes by with packages and deliveries, uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story, like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism and, 
And, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the stage or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a- the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working the Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, yeah, I mean, we work hard and you know, we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it, it and 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 the inclusion and the at special olympics no one's excluded you know no, right. no one's excluded yep. everyone is equal at special olympics it, and you know in a country that's quite divided on so many lines politically and uh, socially uh, economically race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot but you go to special olympics and everyone's involved everyone's welcome everyone's equal and I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get? How can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved, uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Uh, and, and the thing that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together, uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you, when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to 
uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, it, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.